Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Easy and PK Talk Fantasy Football. We are coming to you this week at the mid-season point. We have seven weeks in the book, 14 weeks in the full regular season, and so we've got some things to talk about. First thing, just kind of breaking down last week's games. Easy, did you get a chance to watch the scoreboards? I know you were very involved in your own matchup with Josh, but tell us about how you saw last week go. Uh, last week, really, we saw a lot of different things. I know in me and Josh's game, Josh did win, Banana Stan did win. I don't think I've ever seen this before, but he had three guys that had over 10 receptions, which was, that was a new one for me. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that before. I don't remember. I haven't looked very hard, but that sounds pretty impressive. And then in the other games, we saw John's team finally blast off, putting up 227 points. I feel sorry for Jake there because that always sucks when the guy you're going against just completely blasts off against you. I looked quickly into John's team, and he had four guys over 30 points. So when you have four guys over 30 points... That's pretty easy to, you know, have the other, what is it, six, seven guys just put up another hundred. High-speed chase, Jim, still winless thanks to your team and mighty Patrick Mahomes put up a big game. Well, with my game and Jim, he was at a significant disadvantage because his two top offensive players were both on a bye. His, his chase and burrow point stack obviously was sitting at home resting up so he had an uphill climb the whole way earlier last week i was able to do my own little point stack by trading for travis kelsey and going back to earlier this season teagues would let you know that i had offered him the same trade that i offered joey and i was trying to get kelsey from teagues I guess fortunately for Teagues, he he did not take my offer because he was able to give Eckler and Kelsey to Joey for more first-round picks. So I think that worked out for Teagues. And then I was able to then pry Kelsey away from Joey's death grip. Just kidding, Joey. (laughs) But I told Joey, I'll offer you the same trade I offered Teagues. What do you think? And he said, sounds good. We haggled a little bit about the second-round pick involved but we settled on something that worked out for both teams i hope yeah jim 0-7 i don't think that we've ever had an 0-7 team thus far i think in a previous podcast i said i wouldn't necessarily sound the alarm bells yet but we are halfway through the season and jim is still winless so i think the alarm bells might be going off a little bit louder every week here I actually Looking. play him this week, and now with Chase and Burrow in the line in his lineup, I actually only have a twenty-point projected lead over him. So his team, if you go into it, it's you figured he's gonna get a win somewhere. Just looking at his team now. I think so, too. We'll talk a little bit more about his luck or lack of luck when we discuss the aggregate scores talking about john and jake there's another team jake's team which is significantly unlucky we will be talking again they're one of my highlighted teams in the aggregates recap portion but yeah 
John with four guys over 30 points. One big surprise, though, the Deontay Foreman three touchdowns. You don't expect him as a backup or third-string running back, actually, to get that many points, especially for the Chicago Bears. I happened to play against him in another league, and the guy had him on the bench, so I was (laughs) wiping my forehead there. That would be the only other observation. John had a good, I mean, a great week by all standards, 227 points. But if Foreman gets his his projection, which was less than 10, then John's, you know, looking at, you know, 210, which is still a lot of points, but is very hard to beat. You know, it's crazy when you have a hundred and what 65 pound Jordan Addison just ripping the ball out of a defensive back's hands and running for a whatever a 60 yard touchdown yeah you kind of know it's your week for sure dumpster fire and teagues picked up his second win of the season with a, a close one over joey joey's team perplexing because you and i both would agree on paper they are scary Mm-hmm. but but he's just seems to be treading water I don't know what to say. I His team is poised to take off, but isn't doing so. And he just traded Barkley this week to John. And Barkley so did. To say. Had a pretty good week, scored a touchdown, which always so, happens as soon as you trade a guy away. Oh, don't I know it. In my other league this week, I traded away A.J. Brown just <laughs> before the game started. Oh, boy. Ended up losing that week. Or I ended up losing this week by like eight points because I didn't have Brown in my lineup. So yeah, and the guys I traded for didn't do jack squat. So <laughs> it was a frustrating week. In my other leagues, I had not such a good week. We've got those guys versus work in progress. Shunk's team continues to pick up wins, six and one. Puka Nakua trade. He he got a one more win for, for Shunk and then traded him away promptly to John. John is stacking up lots of good players. He has another set of four top 10 wide receivers. I thought John's days of ridiculous wide receiver lineups was over, but he he picked up Garrett Wilson this week. He picked up Puka this week, and Jefferson will be coming off the IR in just a few weeks. And so right there he'll have, with A.J. Brown, yeah, with A.J. Brown he'll have three top 10 wide receivers for sure maybe even four the Aaron Bowl what do you got to say about the Aaron Bowl this week nothing personal to them but the Aaron Bowl was kind of like the uh the toilet bowl of the week it was the they had the first and third worst scores Aaron B again he just keeps on winning looking at his roster he keeps on winning and he's right there vying for a playoff spot Absolutely. How do you feel? Both you and him are five and two, although you have outscored him significantly. So that tiebreaker is truly yours to lose. A couple of bad bounces for you and a couple more good bounces for him. And you might be clawing your way back into playoff positioning. Yeah, I'm actually pretty scared because what I did was I actually traded for Kyron Williams from him figuring that I'd probably drop a few games and I'd end up in second place in the division, but second place in the division is definitely up for grabs with him, and it could just be that the trade that I did with him is what knocks me into third place rather than 
puts me in a solid second ready for the playoffs with a healthy Williams. Time will tell. We're at the midseason. We had a couple of owners we wanted to talk about here as a midseason. Just talking about lucky, unlucky. Aaron was one of them. Puts together a winning team, 5-2 and two, most weeks. What other observations have you seen now that we're seven games in with seven games to go? Big ones again. Jim just needing that win to, to stay in the league. Um, I feel like the, the Zocker boys are just kind of, I don't know what, treading water, so to speak. They're trying to do trades, I know, but I'm not sure how many are going through, really. Yeah, Aaron B. putting together a good team. Shunk trades five times a week and continues to win. And all the time you got Josh and John doing all these great trades, and it just has the feel that they're running away with the league. I know. I looked at Josh's team the other day because I thought this team is so stacked with top-tier talent. I said he has to have zero draft picks left. And <laughs> as Josh is listening to this, he's he's giggling because yep. if you look at his, his stack of draft picks, he has multiple first-round picks in the next three years. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to go back to his transaction history because how could he have traded for Tyreek Hill and still have any first-round picks left. But now that I think about it, he traded away Garrett Wilson this week for a couple first-round picks, and it's just really a clinic in team building, how you acquire top-tier talent and acquire future first-round picks that is going to keep him solidly in the top two or three owners in the league for, for years to come. It's, it's really shocking how good his team is just how he has. quick he got it together too last year he finished dead last in our division in aggregate score he was not looking good and it all started with some trades in the offseason specifically the Tyreek trade has really propelled him and that was like my I said, bad his, yeah I don't know how you <laughs> how you give away a guy like that I figured he was getting a little older a little slower Clearly all that was not the case, and I can readily admit that I made a horrible trade. So I'm sorry <laughs> to the rest of the league. <laughs> you, are a, you are a good man for owning up to that. Let's take a look at the aggregate records for the first seven weeks and get a little bit more insight into who deserves their record based on the aggregates they're putting up over the first seven weeks and who is getting pretty lucky to be where they're at. Mm -hmm. So let's first start with the Farat division. And truthfully, you can look at each one of our aggregate win totals versus our actual win totals. And with my metric of win differential, every single one of us is deserving of our record at this point. We have no surprises. Nobody's incredibly lucky. Nobody's incredibly unlucky. And at Currently, Josh has 64 aggregate wins leading the league and has just short of double what I have in second place. I have 36. Moving over to the Ponder division, Adam is leading the division with aggregates, but only by four aggregates, so a minuscule amount, although Adam has six wins and Jake only has two. So right now, Shunk is one 
almost two wins above expected at this point of the season. He should have about four wins, and he has six. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jake has two wins, and he should have about four. So just like last year, if these two teams flopped schedules, it's very conceivable that Jake would be the one that's six and one, and Shunk is the team that would be two and four at this time. I guess what I'm saying is, Jake, don't fire sale your team because you are not that far off. You certainly are going to make the playoffs because the other two teams have the two lowest egg totals in the entire league with Getch at 13 and Jim at 11. But currently, Jim, he has 11 aggregate wins, and every 11 aggregates equals one expected win. So he should have one win at this point based on the 11 aggregate wins that he's had at this point. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. And shifting over to your division in the T-Jaxes, you and John are actually identical. John has 56 and you have 55. Even though you have one less win, John has almost one win above expected. So he's getting on the lucky side. Although the last couple of weeks he had 10 and 11 aggregate wins, so that's not lucky. That's just really good. But Elliot, you're not that far off. I wouldn't fire sale your team either. Truthfully, even though Bavakwa has five wins and you have five wins, he is 1.64 wins above expected at this point. You have 55 aggregates and Bavakwa has 37. So based on the metrics, this is not even going to be close. Yeah. I know that we just said you might want to be worried, but the numbers would say otherwise. Bavakwa will regress to the mean by the end of the season, and I think he knows that too. If I could tell you one thing about Aaron Bavakwa, and not many people who listen to the pod know this, and no disrespect to any one of you guys that I went to college with, but Aaron Bavakwa might be the smartest man that I've ever met and had (laughs) the pleasure of being friends with. I'm not surprised he's built a team this quickly. He's the one who introduced me to fantasy football in the first place, and that's why I threw his name into the hat when we started to expand. But he is... He's cut from a different mental cloth than a lot of us. Let, let me give you an example. And I just want, I, I'll take every opportunity I can to brag up my oldest and dearest high school and grade school friend. But Aaron Bavakwa walks into the ACT. We're what, 15 years old, 16 years old. And we get to the math portion of the ACT. And in the directions, it says, you may use a calculator on this test, although it's not required. And I watched him because we were sitting in the same room. He picked up his calculator. I might be embellishing this part, but he looked at me, held it up, and stuck it under his desk. But I definitely <laughs> know that he did not use the calculator for the entire ACT when we took it in high school. And afterwards, I said, why didn't you use your calculator? He goes, well, they said I didn't need it, so I decided to not use it. I don't know the exact number, but it was above mine. It was well into the 30s. I want to say it was a 32 or a 33 on the ACT. Wow. He is mentally brainiac wise cut from a different cloth so you all are very smart men because i've known you all for about 20 years but i've known aaron bavakwa for 35 years and you you're we're, we're lucky to have him in the league let's just say that we're all playing shoots and ladders and he's playing jeopardy you're saying that's that's pretty accurate <laughs> back to the aggregates i don't think you need to be worried too much about aaron You've almost doubled him up on aggregates, and he's going to regress to the mean here pretty quickly. And I think John and Josh actually play this week, so that should be interesting. 
that that is a good little preview for this week. They do. The number one and number two teams play this week. Josh has ran quite the gambit here. He played he played you, and then he plays John. And, uh, we'll see how this goes. Unfortunately for him, it sounds like Tyreek might be out a game and possibly more. Oh, really? Yeah, I just I was watching TV today, and that popped up. He didn't practice yesterday, and it, they made it sound like it was very iffy. Sounds like fantasy football is what it sounds like, you know? You, mm-hmm. But both of them, both John and, and Josh, are stacked deep with talent on the bench, so I think he'll be he'll, okay. He'll find someone to fill in. Maybe not quite yeah. as good, but better than anything most of us have sitting on our bench. All right, let's let's take a look ahead. Let's let's look into our crystal ball a little bit. What do you think, for predictions wise? What do you think is going to happen the rest of the season? If you could pick a championship game today, what would it look like? Easily, Josh and John going for it. Like I mean, we've talked about it all this whole podcast, other podcasts. They're the they're the deepest, they're the strongest, they have the best players. It's really going to take an upset to get one of them, you know, out of the playoffs, which upsets do happen especially that type that time of year, but as we sit right now, I just see Josh and John in the championship game. Other things I see is I do see Jim picking up a win and Luckily, you know, thankfully being able to stay in, stay in the league. And the reason I say that is there's, it just seems like there's a game every year where Joe Burrow and Chase meet up for three touchdowns and Jim puts up, you know, 160, 170 points out of nowhere. So that's kind of, you know, my few predictions. I've been thinking a lot about stacking a quarterback with their best receiver, which is why I went out and traded for Travis Kelsey because yep. he's Patrick Mahomes' number one target. John has it with Lamar Jackson and Andrews. Josh has it with Tua and uh, with the Cheetah, with Tyreek Hill. Yep. And I thought, if I'm going to do anything, if I'm going to make the playoffs, if I'm going to stay ahead of Bob and Greg and even win a game in the playoffs, i got to do something... And going back to like our first pod or maybe our second pod, when I said I'm really hesitant to trade future first round picks to win now, and you said, you know, if it was me, I'd do it. And I, I was thinking about that. I was like, well, I'm going to take Ellie's advice here. I'm going to trade for Kelsey and see, see how this turns out. But I think stacking your quarterback with their top receiver, it seems to be a formula that works really well, at least for this year. And yep. hopefully it works out for me. Uh, yeah, I actually have both of my quarterbacks and receivers stacked. I have Hurts stacked with Goddard, and then I have, unfortunately, I have Pickett with Pickens, and mm-hmm. Pickett's not exactly shouldering the load right now, unfortunately. I was hoping for a lot more right. out of that. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I I'm absolutely love the idea of stacking quarterbacks with top receivers. I'm I'm also double stacked with Gino and Lockett, but currently right now Lockett is not doing as well as he has in the past. But you'd expect that because the years are catching up with him. But that was one of the reasons why I traded for Gino Smith earlier in their year too. I I was hoping for the mini stack, and I yep. had to go nuclear by getting the Kelsey stack. 
<laughs> and hopefully the double stack is, is what's going to keep me competitive for at least this season. Yep. What's your, what's your percent? Are you a hundred percent sure Jim's going to win a game this year? What, if you were a betting man and you are, you've told us on a previous pass, you're betting man. What is your percent? Is a hundred percent chance Jim's going to win? What do you think? I'm going 90, 90%. 90% chance. I would, I would say so. I think his best chance is to play Aaron Getchell because they are the two worst aggregate teams in the league. And they'll play each other one more time in the last couple of weeks because everybody plays their divisional opponents in the last few weeks. So that's probably his best chance. Yep. And quickly, before we get into the mailbag for this week, you mentioned something on the message board this morning about Derrick Henry to the Ravens. Tell us more. I did. I, You know, I was just looking on the side of our uh, sleeper app. The headline on there was, how the Ravens were the team most heavily uh, pursuing Derrick Henry. To me, if you put Derrick Henry on the Ravens, all of a sudden, my team that I was picking to win the Super Bowl was the 49ers. If Henry goes to the Ravens, I switch my pick 100% to the Ravens. The Ravens just have that smash mouth style that would would fit Henry perfectly. You got Henry doing smash mouth. You got Lamar Jackson running around doing 360s, running away from guys for 10 seconds, throwing touchdowns. It just seems like it would be a perfect fit. That's how I feel. I don't know about you. The way you describe it makes it intriguing, certainly. I kind of piped up on the message board this morning and said, I think that game flow might affect that a little bit. If you've got these high-flying passing teams like the Chiefs and the Dolphins, which are both in the AFC, if they face one of those two teams in the AFC Championship, it might be tough to play catch-up if you're down two scores in the first quarter if you're going to pound it with, with Henry. But, I mean, Lamar Jackson can scamper 70 yards in 10 seconds, so it's, it's like a long pass play. You're onto something there. And you still got the Ravens defense, which is always at the top of the league. All right, mailbag time. For those of you who are new to the podcast, you can send us your questions at easyandpktalkfantasyfootball at gmail.com. Send us your mailbag questions. This one, I think that you want to talk about, showed up on the message board earlier this week. Do you want to chat about that a little bit? I would love to, yeah. I think it showed up. Last week on the message board, it was actually Josh that put it up, and it was a very interesting question. It was, if you're 50-50 chance of winning going into the Monday night game, would you rather have no players but more points, or would you rather have the less points but still players going? And I think the last time I checked it, I was actually kind of surprised. There was six people in our league that wanted the points and no one playing, and only two that wanted guys playing. And I was one of those two. And for me, it was more of a entertainment thing for me, I guess. I'd rather have, you know, my be the aggressor and seeing my guys put up points rather than just kind of sitting there watching the game with my hands tied behind my back. And so that's how I 
kind of feel about that. I thought I thought it was a really interesting poll to bring up. Very insightful question. My response to that, and I was the one who voted, I'd rather have the points on the board than players yet to play. My response to that is twofold. First, there's so much uncertainty with players getting hurt. If you have three players that are going to play and you need them to score their projections and one of them gets knocked out in the first quarter on a Monday night game, I'd be super deflated. I would, mm-hmm. I'd play the what if game. I'm like, oh man, if I would have just put somebody in that flex spot that I knew, you know, that was having 10 points. You know, I always go back to the bench and go, what if I had this player in instead of this player? And that's, that's agonizing to me. So that's my first reason. I'd rather avoid the uncertainty of will they get hurt? Or even this week in a different league I had, this last week in a different league, I had Brandon Ayuk playing and I was down nine points and I was playing against Alexander Madison. So he basically had to outscore Madison by nine or 10 points. First half, Ayuk had five catches for 50 yards. He had 10 points. Madison had a measly four. Second half, fortunately, neither person got injured, but unfortunately, Brandon Ayuk disappeared. And I just sat there thinking, when is he going to show up? Okay, maybe now they're going to throw a 40-yard bomb down the sideline to him, and it just never came. And yep. I was just like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Do something, do something, do something. And I would have much rather been the person in the lead. Second reason. Last time I was in the championship game against John, and everybody knows my storied history against playing John, I was actually projected to win. It was Christmas Eve. John was winning by eight points, and all I needed was the tight end from the Las Vegas Raiders, formerly Oakland Raiders, to get his projection. He was a top three tight end that year. I don't remember his name. Guy was a top three tight end. It was pretty much a slam dunk. And I even was texting with John. I'm like, Merry Christmas. Good luck to both of us tonight. And he pretty much goes, I've conceded. I'm not even going to watch. I'm, I pretty much moved on. You're going to win. I agreed with him. I thought this was totally mine championship what a christmas gift this would be wake up christmas morning pour myself a cup of coffee and bask in my second ever golden football not only that but i get to beat john needless to say the guy laid an egg it was Derek carr at quarterback and he threw the ball to him maybe two or three times the guy had his season low in the championship week and it pissed me off so much that i will forever Air on the side of having points on the board than players left to play. Two different styles, two different ways of thinking. You can't say either is right or wrong. For sure. Do you still have Derek Carr on your team? I do. Oh, so he... I can't rip into him that much? Oh, go for it. He's my he's my third quarterback, so Sorry, go ahead I, and, and let I, it fly. I honestly think that he is the most overrated quarterback in the NFL. I don't know. I, like, wherever he's gone, there's been hype around him, and he just hasn't produced. That's totally valid. You keep expecting him to do something, and he does, and then he starts yelling at his teammates on the sidelines, and it's just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I know. He's right now a warm body on my bench, and he's available for trade if anybody's interested. But, yes, he is pretty much only going to see the field 
if there's someone on a buy or an injury, especially since I have Gino and Tyler Lockett. Right now, both of them are ranked almost equivalently, but I'm going to err on the side of possibly stacking Gino and Tyler Lockett rather than seeing if Derek Carr has one good game every three weeks. So I'm just going to hope that the stack works. My mailbag question comes from Joey, actually. He and his family visited a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the pod. He's a big fan, so great feedback from Joey. Joey's a podcast listener in general, and now that we have a podcast, he seems really excited to listen. But he asked me if I would talk more about the Call Me Index. Do you know about the Call Me Index, E? I know a little about it. So, yeah, if you could talk about it, uh, it would certainly help enlighten us. I could probably talk about the Call Me Index for 20 minutes. I'm going to try and knock it down to maybe 10. The Call Me Index is basically a list of rookies. I have created a spreadsheet, and I have basically ranked all of these rookies based on a number of criteria. Now, the formula is proprietary, and I'm making it sound cooler than it is, but it's proprietary. So nobody has ever been given access to how I calculate the Call Me Index for each player. But I use it as a way to kind of compare players on draft day. Joey asked if I would go into a little bit more detail. So I'm about to reveal some things that I would never have thought that I would tell anybody ever. And in fact, I'm going to place a link to the Call Me Index in the show notes so that you can all click on it if you want. Now, I've hidden a number of things, but I will tell you today in the pod how it works and a little bit about the criteria that I use to rank my players. I don't think I will ever share with you the actual algorithm and how I calculate the Call Me Index, mostly because I think it's funny and hilarious. And actually, I think it kind of works. And hopefully I can explain this to you here today. So basically, the Call Me Index is a way to predict rookie performance only. People have asked me in the past, does the Call Me Index kind of extrapolate out into their second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year? I have not found a way for that to work but it does a pretty good job at determining who I should draft. Let's say I have a second round pick and I've got three players that are all ranked on the Call Me Index that are still available. I almost always pick the highest rated one. And I'll tell you why I do that here in a little bit. The Call Me Index basically takes uh, three or four criteria and I assign some values and run it through a spreadsheet and it calculates it and ranks the players on a zero to seven scale. The scale can go higher than seven, but the most it's ever reached is a seven. So right now, the, the maximum is seven. But this year, the 2023 draft class has two players that are above seven. We've had the highest two players ever ranked on the Call Me Index in the 2023 draft class. More on that in a bit. But the things I look for are, first of all, what position they play, because wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks gain points at a different rate. Position matters. Their spot on the depth chart matters because someone who's buried as the fifth wide receiver on the depth chart is not going to get that many opportunities to be um, a fantasy contributor compared to somebody who's first or second on the depth chart. And that all this seems to make sense, right? Yep. How many years of college football experience they play matters and what draft round they went in matters. 
So if they're a first round pick, my reasoning is, well, they're probably going to get more opportunity to play because they got a lot of draft capital mm-hmm. sunk into them. And so their team is going to give them a better chance of playing. So those are the criteria. People want to know, like, does it work? Does it produce valid results? And I would say yes. So here's what I've done. All this week I have compiled, oh, by the way, the Call Me Index goes all the way back to all of the rookie classes dating back to 2009. So currently there are 385 players ranked on the Call Me Index from zero all the way up to seven, seven being the highest. And my thought is if we could decide or pick a number that would represent a successful rookie year, I picked 100 points. Let's say, would you, would you be happy if you drafted a guy and he accumulated 100 points in a season? Would you think consider that a successful year, E? All things considered, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd say so. Again, with what you were talking about, where he was drafted and whatnot, but if I take a guy mid, mid to late first round, seeing him get a hundred points, maybe as a third wide receiver, I'd, I'd be happy with that. That's kind of my thinking too. So I used a hundred points as my cutoff, which is just short of ten points a game if you average it out over the season. But I said, okay. How many players have a, have a seven or higher on the Call Me Index and have scored at least 100 points? And so I, I use spreadsheets to figure this out. The answer is 100%. Five players have ever been seven or higher, and every one of them has scored over 100 points a rookie season. I then stepped it up and said, what about 200 points? Well, it drops off a little bit. Only one of those five have ever exceeded 200 points in their rookie season. 100% of, this, of them got... 100 points, 20% of them got over 200 points. So then I went down to the next tier of, of Call Me Index. I went from 6 to 6.9. So if you fell with between 6 and 6.9 on the Call Me Index, what is the chance of you gaining 100 points? So crunching the numbers, 75% of them, or thereabouts, or three-quarters of them, and there are 34 of them, 34 people have fallen in this bracket on the Call Me Index, about 75% or three-quarters have gotten over 100 points. And I think that's pretty good. So if you're like a gambling man, and you said you are, and I am. you take a shot at a player, th- three out of four times that player is going to get 100 points. It jumps to 35% of them have gone over 200 points. So there seems to be an increase there. Although the, the data is small for seven and up because it's a pretty, pretty rarefied group. At six to 6.9, 35% of them would get 200 points. This is their rookie seasons. 5 to 5.9. 35 players have been ranked between 5 and 5.9 on the Call Me Index. 80% of them, 4 out of every 5, have gotten 100 points. Nearly 50% of them have gotten over 200 points. So this seems to, seems to work. It at least gives me a, like a good guess or who's going to be good that year. You know, it makes sense. Makes sense. Finally, the last one I'll highlight is the 4 to 4.9 range on the Call Me Index. 64 players have ever fallen in this. 65% of them have gotten over 100 points, and 34% of them have gotten over 200 points. If they're basically a 4 or higher, I'm feeling pretty good about drafting them, especially if it's 3rd round or 4th round or later. That's where I find my hidden gems in the 3rd and 4th round is by using the Call Me Index. This year, the top players on the Call Me Index are Bijan Robinson, no surprise. He came in at a 7.2. I think he already has 100 points. He's well on his way to 200 points. So 
I think that's going to hold. Mm-hmm. And Dalton Kincaid, the tight end. Now, tight ends are weird. I don't really know what to do with tight ends. Are they, are they true wide receivers? How do I rank them? But I got Dalton Kincaid at a 7.2 as well. And so those two are sevens. Zay Flowers and Marvin Mims were sevens. So those four, pretty much, based on historical data, have a 100% chance of getting 100 points. Sam Laporta, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Jameer Gibbs, JSN from Seattle. These guys are all in the six range. Quentin Johnson, Jordan Anderson, those were all the sixes. So on draft day, I had a chance to take Jordan Addison. Obviously, hindsight said I should have taken him, but he was ranked identical to Quentin Johnson in the Call Me Index. I went with Quentin Johnson, should have went with Jordan Addison, but, you know, it gave me a good, educated guess. With the historical data in mind, the Call Me Index, some other notable players who have also scored six on the Call Me Index, Jamar Chase, Odell Beckham Jr., Justin Jefferson, Mike Evans, CeeDee Lamb, Calvin Benjamin, Amari Cooper, A.J. Green, Julio Jones, Debo Samuel, Torrey Smith, Kyle Pitts, Jerry Judy, DJ Moore. So these are all guys who have scored six on the Call Me Index who are household names or were household names. That's the Call Me Index. So there you go. I will put a link to the Call Me Index in the show notes so everybody can go on and click a look. You can go all the way back to 2009. I will not tell you any more, no matter what questions you ask, but (laughs) now you know how the Call Me Index works and what I use it for. How do you like that? Sounds great. You've boggled my mind, and now I'm going to be pretty interested to see what what you all got there. Well, I'm excited to share it with you guys, and I hope you enjoy it. Don't forget, if you want to send us some messages through the mailbag, it's easy and PK, talkfantasyfootball at gmail.com, or reach out to us through text message or whatever, and we'd be happy to answer your questions on the podcast. But I think it's time to sign up for this week. Uh, good luck this week, E. I hope your players stay healthy. And I hope you win. Same to you, and adios, anyone listening. Awesome. Take care. All right. See you next time.